Well, hello and welcome to episode number 443 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show we say a very special hello to the, or goodbye, to the queen, last queen of the skies. But oh, Carlos, here we go. And BA staff get a social media ban and an Airbus falls apart and keeps on flying. In the military news this week we get a little tech update and there's a renewed talk of F-16s going to the Ukraine. So, joining me this week, well, actually not joining me this week, as you would have probably have guessed, because I'm here in the studio on my own, is not Matt Smith. Unfortunately, Matt Smith is out on location with the radio station, that is Park Radio. He's out with those guys tonight doing a live uh, broadcast from a pub, of all places. What a hard life that man leads. Uh, but uh, we have got uh, someone joining us this week, and uh, I'm going to bring the camera, hopefully the camera will work here, I'm going to bring him on live here and welcome back our king of aviation and hopefully this week he hasn't been to uh, vegas 600 times it's armando well we are missing nev also carlos oh uh, i haven't got to nev yet which means contractually i had to be here today so uh, (laughs) i actually just landed i wasn't sure i was going to be on the show today but i was spent the whole week in san antonio texas where it was a frigid 30 something degrees and there's an ice storm happening and i just got back literally about 30 minutes ago back home so i am happy to be here today first thank you for joining because you've done some military stuff this week though haven't you for us armando uh just the usual stories i don't think anything out of the ordinary and uh you know i wanted to go down to san antonio i was at lackland air force base bunch of beautiful airplanes it's like basically a big air museum and it was just so cold and rainy that I just said, I love the podcast, but I'm not going to walk around these airplanes. You you have rain in the U.S. I thought that it was always sunny in the U.S. Okay. <laughs> terrible weather. This whole winter has been terrible weather here. No. Well, summer, summertime will soon be here. Don't panic. And uh, as our Monday... Speaking of... Speaking of pubs. Speaking of, well, speaking of uh, guests, guest hosts, uh, Nev can't be with us this week as well because Nev is busy uh, flying around Europe. I think he's literally just got off a plane somewhere and uh, sent me a picture earlier of a lovely meal he had on board in seat 1A uh, with a nice view as well that uh, that Nev had on the, on the aircraft. So uh, Nev can't be with us this week, unfortunately. Uh, but we have got back our... Seems to be our, our resident super sub that we have on the show uh, now, especially when it comes to anything to do with Airbus and how to fly an Airbus. Obviously, it's got to be the one, the only. It's Andy. Oh, I'm back again. I spend a lot of time on this show these days. <laughs> Thanks for having us, though. It's great. And yes, as uh, Armando said, I am sat in my own pub, just like Matt is broadcasting from his. So how are things with you, Andy? We've obviously... It's, uh, when did we have you on last? Was it... Uh, it was the beginning of Jan. It must have been yeah, about must have been beginning three of weeks, four weeks ago, something like that. Uh, yeah, I'm still grounded. Still got the medical issue, but it is getting better. So hopefully I'll be back flying very soon. But thanks for having me again. No, it's good to have you on. We've, we've got a couple of stories, which I know you've got some... Um, some comments to make for this week on the show yes. so uh, yeah we've got more on that coming up later uh, but uh, it's, really the say... only, the, it's the only time i enjoy listening to the show is when andy's on <laughs> <laughs> oh that's, that's very kind of Amanda. what do you, what do you want a check a yeah. something like for that, that for that thing yeah. i was talking about for your pub yeah <laughs> brilliant 
Yeah, we're making uh, making airplane drug deals across the ocean here. Shh, don't tell them. <laughs> Wait, it's not like we're live worldwide or anything. <laughs> Actually, for the, for the benefit of those for those watching, um, uh, um, and if you if you can just sh- just quick have a quick whiz round the, the pub so everyone can see. Yeah. Because they they might not believe that you actually are. Look at this, guys. For those of you watching in the world of YouTube, Andy has actually got a traditional English pub. I'm sure most of them have seen it before. But there we go. Spin it round. Back. It's very classy. That's the classiest pub in England right there. It's très classy. Yes. That's French. (laughs) It is so good, honestly. Well done. We need to make a point of going over to see him, don't we, uh, Mando, at some point? I think that's going to be worthy of a, of a flight across from uh, Charlotte over here to the UK just to have an evening with Andy in the pub. Shoot, that was the plan. I was supposed to come over in March, but, man, plane tickets were just crazy expensive. Yeah, silly money. Mm. Yeah. We were going to bring the family over for, for spring break, our spring break, and uh, visit with uh, with Matt and... Andy and you guys up in, you know, the the eastern part of England, and not not even do any uh, touristy things. We're just going to go visit friends for a week, but still waiting for those plane tickets to come down. They'll get there. They'll get there. Why they're so expensive now? I don't know. They thought they want to encourage people to uh, to get on the aircraft and fly. But anyway, we're going to say a special hello to everyone who's joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. I'm going to go through the list here. Start at the top. Captain Cruz is first in, according to YouTube this evening. Hello to you, Captain Cruz. Uh, we've got uh, Mazus. Hello to you, Mazus, as well, our local listener, Mazus. Um, scrolling down, Yizap2. Hello, Yizap2. Good evening to you as well. New new uh, name in the chat room. Uh, Dirk S is also in there. Lee Davies has probably got uh, a pint on the go. I know he's probably got a pint on the go. Uh, who else have we got? Uh, Neville Bounds is in there. I, I don't know what he's doing there, but he's got his blue spanner of doom out ready. Alex, hello to you as well. Good to see you in there, Alex. Uh, and uh, Andy Wilson, no, no idea who that guy is. Uh, Mash is also in there. Hello to you, Masha. Lovely to see you in there as well. Bill, hello to you as well, Bill. Uh, Sturman, hello to you, Sturman. Came past your workplace this afternoon and did did beep the truck horn, but don't know if you heard me or not. Uh, Richard Adams, uh, Pip is in there from the Plane Safety Podcast. Hello to you, Pip as well. Um, let me scroll down, make sure I don't miss anyone out. John Jester, hello to you, John, our resident uh, Queen of the Skies pilot. Got a story coming up in just a bit, all about that, actually. Hey there, don't 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 just uh, fly by our military loyal listeners, the people that acknowledge it openly in the chat room. So Jonathan Warner's in there, oh. Sturman's in there, Lee's in there. So hey, hey. <laughs> or you know what? Maybe we'll separate that section off, and when we get to the military section, I will just acknowledge the military fans. <laughs> uh, and here's here's in the military chat room. Why not just split it into two separate podcasts? Oh, you're willing to put in the work? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. So uh, it's the beginning of the month. And uh, it's time for, for to say thank you to everyone on who, who donates very kindly to the show. And uh, now we've not got the backing music to play because I can't find it on here. Don't know what Matt's done with it. You know, that's what happens when uh, when I'm in charge of the old system here. But uh, Armando, if you'd like just to, uh, to run through uh, the Patreon and the PayPal donators for this month. 
Yeah, all joking aside, we say this every show, every meetup, every t- every time we have a special event that this uh, this wouldn't happen without the support of our Patreon and our and our loyal listeners and everybody who downloads the shows. But uh, our our loyal Patreon supporters going down through the list: Sam Dawson, Logan Lynch, Alex Robinson, Dirk S, Sasha Beer, Stephen Ivy, who is who I'm coordinating with for a special business aviation special. Nicholas Codling, Luis Caceres, Alan White, Stephen Howland, Tanya Wyman, Nicholas Hewitt, Masha, Masha, who who doesn't love Masha, Ruben, Neil, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Eric Graves, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, the Royal Captain Jeff, <laughs> Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Jenny Parkinson, Evan Shu, Stuart Baker, Ray Williams, and one Dr. Stephanie Plummer, my neighbor, and our traditional PayPal donators are Tony Stubbings, uh, loyal fan of the show, Mazuz Karim, Richard Adams, and Craig Yerusko. Uh, I very, very much appreciate every single one of you listening in and contributing to the show. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for that, uh, Armando. So this week I was lucky enough to go to uh, a, a certain part of the U.K., uh, I think uh, for some of you guys, you probably you probably saw this actually, didn't you, um, on the social media feed? So I can bring this up on the screen. Here we go. So this week, I was in the truck and I got to go to London Heathrow. So uh, as you can probably see on the screen there, there's there's the faithful truck parked. I managed to get parked right in front of Terminal Three arrivals there at London Heathrow on Monday. And uh, this this was actually this was actually quite late. This is like uh, half past nine in the evening, so there wasn't much going on there. And uh, there we go. That's uh, behind me is where the Virgin Atlantic um, building is with the Virgin Atlantic logo on. You can see the uh, the truck there. With a, I'll, I'll point out that I've got a light missing off the front there. I need to replace that next week. That's another job for me to do. But uh, yeah, I had a really good trip to uh, to London Heathrow. I've got to say, guys, it was really weird being at Heathrow and not. Um, not being the one who's going on holiday i'm not gonna lie it's quite strange oh welcome to our world we've got <laughs> the airport all the time and don't go on holiday really yes yeah because we're clocking in you get to see all these glamorous locations every day every time you're flying honestly yeah we turn around and come back oh yeah true I yeah suppose. we we see them on final approach as you glance over the left you know the left side or the right side but then <laughs> You know, you're worried about not taking out some runway lights, right? <laughs> right. Anyway, we must move on with this show, otherwise we'll we'll get uh, we'll get shot here. We'll have uh, John after us. So, uh, uh, time for some commercial news. If everyone is ready, I'll hit the button. Send it. So the first news story this week comes to us from Reuters.com, ITV.com, SkyNews.com and Travel Weekly. And uh, this week it's not been a great uh, week for two airlines because two airlines have collapsed within days of each other. Flybe obviously went into administration less than a year after returning to the skies following a previous collapse. Flybe operated scheduled services from Belfast. 
Birmingham Heathrow to airports across the UK to Amsterdam and Geneva. Uh, 277 of Flybe's 321 staff have been made redundant. The remaining 44 have been retained and Flybe had previously been pushed into administration in March 2020 with the loss of 2,400 jobs as the COVID-19 pandemic battered large parts of the travel market. Its business and assets were purchased back in 2021 by the Time Opco, which is linked to US hedge fund Cyrus capital. Time Opco was renamed Flyby Limited based at Birmingham Airport. Other carriers have already started to pick up some of the routes that were operated by Flybe. Aer Lingus being one of them uh, operated by Emerald Airlines which will take over the Belfast City to Newcastle and East Midlands routes. The only two routes out of Belfast that Flybe held a monopoly on. Emerald Airlines at Belfast City Airport is holding open interviews for former Flybe workers to be uh, um, have been advised adversely impacted by the firm's collapse. Interviews for roles including Direct entry captains, co-pilots and cabin crew will take place Thursday the 2nd and Friday the 3rd, which was today at the uh, Hope Maldon, Maldron Hotel in Belfast. Hopefully lots of people got their jobs. Uh, Ryanair and EasyJet uh, have also said that recruitment is open for those affected. Elsewhere... Uh, a second airline folded just days after Flybe fell into administration. More than 400 staff faced losing their jobs due to the collapse of the Norwegian low-cost carrier Flyer, or Flyer, F-L-Y-R. Uh, the company had tried and failed in recent days to secure a 330 million Norwegian crown, uh, or $33 million of funding, Reuters reported. The Oslo-based airline, launched less than two years ago, confirmed it will be filing for bankruptcy on Wednesday, after failing to reach, uh, uh, failing to raise a fresh capital, a notice on the company's website said Flyer was unsuccessful with the new financial plan, and the board concluded on Tuesday evening that there are no alternatives for further operation. The company filed for bankruptcy, uh, bankruptcy on Wednesday morning, and Flyer has now ceased trading. All flights are cancelled as well, and will not be rescheduled. Uh, Flyer operated a fleet of 12 737s uh, to a range of European destinations but had to cut back services during the winter in its final operation and earned only one flight schedule between the Norwegian capital and Gran Canaria. So remember you said uh, Andy earlier about this that um, you're not surprised that uh, this has happened? Well certainly not in the case of uh, Fly B. It's it's very sad of course any time a company goes in a situation because of course there's jobs that have been lost Thankfully, the market is very buoyant at the moment, especially for cabin crew to be rehired. It's great that Emerald are looking for the crew as well because it'll keep them in the base that they were in as well, so near to home, people would have to move around. But when Flybe version 1 uh, went bust, you know, the likes of Logan Air took up loads of the routes, the profitable ones especially. Um, and our EasyJet was operating sort of Manchester, Aberdeen, Inverness, stuff like that as well. So there, was, there wasn't really the market for the extra capacity, unfortunately. So it's very sad that it's happened. And Flyer as well, again, an airline I didn't really know a lot about until a few days ago. Um, but you can actually see some of their aircraft in Norwich now, um, Carlos. That's where a few of them have been flown to today. Back to the lesser. Oh, I'll have to have a look up there because uh, the, the NDR that runs around... The airport, the main road that was built a few years ago, runs right alongside the runway, so it gives you good access and views to the aircraft there. But I'll have a look, Andy, next time I go that way. 
Yeah, but again, it's it, it's always sad when airline folds, and um, it's just really unfortunate that Flybe just couldn't make it work a second time. Mm. Mm. I have a question on Emerald. Is that here in the U.S. the regional is being operated either by a wholly owned or just a partner airline like PSA, Piedmont, Air Wisconsin, something like that? But it, you don't really hear about it too much over there in Europe. So Emerald is its own airline that is partnered with and flies under the flag of Aer Lingus? Uh, yes, I believe so. So they're sort of subcontracted in to operate the flights. Is that is that common over there, or do, do most carriers just, you know, go for, you know, a small Airbus or a sm- or 737 and, and just kind of run those on regional routes? I, I know, I know the geography, right? Like, yeah, you don't really get the sort of same setup that you have in America where you've got the sort of the regional airlines and that feeding into the main um legacy carriers so no it's it's a bit of an unusual one really hmm. that's the first time i i'd really heard of of an emerald airlines type operation partnering with a larger airline well air lingus have had this before with uh air aaron which then became oh, yeah. Stobart air and then Stobart went uh went bust so then emerald took up the slack for them as well so, yeah, it's an interesting one. And, I mean, they only fly, I think Emerald fly ATRs as well. Yeah, it seemed, I looked it up super quick and it was 14 ATRs, ATR-72s yeah. or something like that. Hmm. Most of them are painted up in uh, Erlingus colours as well. It's a shame because Flybe did used to fly at one point from Norwich, but um, I remember the, look at the flight, the prices of the flights were quite expensive at the time, so I never... Never flew with Flybe, unfortunately, but um, they did have some decent fares, I think, going um, to other parts of the UK or flying out of other parts of the UK. But no, I never got the chance to fly with Flybe. I remember. I, fl- I flew Flybe from Norwich to Paris a couple of times. Just, and I thought it was a very affordable and good product. And it was so nice, you know, from Barry St. Edmunds, where I live, to just pop up to Norwich and not have to go into London. And, mm. I mean, yeah. two-gate two airport and... You're right on the airplane, and you know, an hour later, you're in Paris. Well, in the so UK, it's... many years ago, there used to be lots and lots of regional airlines. I, I don't know if you remember, um, Carlos Aguilar. They were based out of Newcastle. They used to fly everywhere. Then you had Air UK as well. Air UK. Did a lot of uh, yeah. regional stuff. There was Bryman. Um, Bryman. Yeah. Yeah. Which ended up a lot of them got absorbed into. BA in the end, and our, uh, Gill went bust after September 11th. There was Southwest Air Southwest as well, which had the call, the the call center. Wow, before Wow Air had it, you know there, were, there used to be a lot, but unfortunately the market's disappeared now. Mm. It's a shame. Need some yeah. little, something. Need some little. Need, need some competition back. Some small air, air, airlines back. Anyway, moving swiftly on. We've got lots of squeeze in today. Um, Armando, you've got the next story, and this is uh, all about... Well, actually, Sturman in the chat room sent me the link to the live video of this, and I actually did watch the last 10, 15 minutes of this uh, when it was on, uh, on on the YouTube page. Yeah, I think we all shed a tear this week. And, Andy, I think you were you may have been on the show, well, a previous show, when, when we talked about the the last Boeing 747 yeah. um, being constructed, but... It, here it is. So from Flight Global, and it was all over the news, even here in the U.S., but the final Boeing 747 to be built left the Boeing plant in Everett, Washington, on the 1st of February, closing the five decades 
manufacturing for 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 Boeing. So this aircraft with the registration November eight six three Gulf Tango might look familiar. Uh, hashtag giant, uh, which was delivered to cargo carrier Atlas Air worldwide on thirty first of January, left its parking position precisely at seven forty seven local time, and received the water canoe, uh, water cannon salute as a taxi to runway 16 right at Payne Field, just north of Seattle. It did lift off about 8.19 local time, headed southeast for the Atlas hub of Cincinnati. And before it left Seattle, however, it performed one final flyby over the factory, uh, which has produced 1,574 747 since 1969. But while the events of the past Two days or past couple of days marked the end of a long and successful chapter in Boeing's history. The youngest 747 airframe, this one, will likely fly for the next 40 years, according to Atlas Air Chief Executive Officer John Dietrich. Uh, Atlas was the customer for the final airframes that Boeing produced. Uh, he did say that there's no specific uh, replacement for the 747-8, and that's why they're so excited to take the last uh, take possession of the last four aircraft. Now, as a as a last tribute to Boeing and the iconic aircraft that was, of course, known as the Queen of the Skies, Atlas ended up flying a special flight plan. I, Carlos, I think you've got a picture of this. It was in the shape of a crown. This was the the waypoint and looked great on FlightAware. I saw this all over social media in the shape of a crown uh, with the number 747 as it traveled from the West Coast over to Cincinnati. Now, this aircraft is destined for Apex Logistics, which is a subsidiary of uh, Swiss freight company uh, Kuhn and Nagel. And on the 31st, about 9,000 guests and dignitaries, including 50 retired Boeing employees who actually developed and constructed the very first aircraft, uh, celebrated the type in a hangar space um, where much of the, the 747's history actually took place. Actor John Travolta, who, as we all know, is a pilot, and he is type-rated on the 747. He was on hand for the event and called the jumbo jet the most well-thought-out and safest aircraft ever built. Now, about 350 of the previous variant uh, 747s, the 747-400, remain in service today, most of which are freighters. Uh, only 29 of those aircraft, operated by just a handful of carriers, are really configured for passenger operations, uh, according to some Syrian fleet's data. Uh, but the demand for the freighter version, as we've talked about on the show plenty, this uh, 747-8F is uh, remained pretty robust thanks to you know the the 747's unique cargo handling capabilities. Some of them have that that um, you know flip flip up nose, um, and of course it's got a range of 4,300 miles and 133 tons of, of payload capacity, according to Boeing. Um, you know, we, we know the history of the 747. It's been all over the world, literally one of the most iconic aircraft. And and we thankfully will see it for the next, you know, 40 to 50 years flying. Um, but it is just a little bit of a sad day. And we all shed a tear when the last one rolled out of the factory. Yeah, I count myself lucky, Armando. I did, I did eventually get to fly on a 74. All that was, you know, um, later on in my flying on aircraft type of uh, experiences that I've had since I was young. But it was a Virgin 7-4 that I flew to Las Vegas on. And then, obviously, a few years ago, I got to fly on the BA 7-4 with um, Nev back from Dubai. 
um, which was, as we didn't know then, we would have, was the last time that we'd ever get to fly on a 747 with BA. Yeah, the the only times I ever flew a 747 on a, on a 747 was uh, on BA coming back from London to the US. Oh, about you, oh, so I was going to say, what about you, Andy? Have you, um... Yeah, I've flown on a, a 400 a couple of times across the Atlantic. I've flown on a 200 on only a two-hour flight. That was an interesting experience. That was a charter job, a special charter. Um, I can't remember if I said last time I was on the show, I used to do various bits of instruction on the 400 and the 200 SIM and the SP SIM as well, which is a 200 just with adjusted uh, flaps because that had single-piece flaps instead of slotted flaps. Brilliant aeroplane. I've never flown the real thing. The simulator flew like a dream, both the 400 and the, um, the Classic. And it's a shame... That it's going, I mean, when you look at only 1,500 built compared to, like, the 7.3, the 7.2, or the A320, it's not a lot, really, is it? But it's got a special place in a lot of people's hearts. Yeah, it, and, you know, I've, I say it every time. I've known John Jester for such a long time, and he gets to fly this on a daily basis, and he says it's just everything you're saying. It just flies like a dream and loves flying yeah. it, and I love, you know, seeing all his world travels in the 747 and of course uh micah keeping me uh straight in the in the chat room there for the military this means that as soon as the these new uh air force ones roll out the vc-25 there's no replacement for it they can only work on the old ones that's a very good point from micah in the chat room so unless they replace it with an airbus i was to say andy you're not upset the the fact that the uh the the 74 will will probably outlive the 380 (laughs) Well, do you know what? It's just an aeroplane. <laughs> it doesn't matter. As long as it does the job it was designed to do, great. Oh, dear. I had to get that one in there. Sorry. <laughs> Moving on to the next story. And this next one, Andy, I, I really, really, I'm really looking forward to your comments on this story. Yeah, well, there's a few There's a few name places in here I'm going to struggle with, so I'm probably going to abbreviate it. Um, but uh, a CAA Airbus A3... Uh, 20, so that stands for Company African Aviation, uh, registered 9 Sierra Alpha Bravo Mike, performing a flight from Mabujimaya to Kinshasa Nadili in the De- Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, departed Mojabi's runway 34 with most of the left-hand elevator separated from the aircraft. The aircraft climbed out and the captain decided to continue the flight to Kinshasa requesting only right-hand turns. He climbed to flight level 300 en route, performed a low pass uh, to have the aircraft assessed from the ground, and subsequently again using right-hand turns only, positioned for another approach and uh, landed on runway 24 about 90 minutes after departure. The separated part of the elevator was recovered from the uh, departure aerodrome, and according to local sources, there was no collision or abnormal contact of the aircraft. It just looked like a structural failure as a result of fatigue. Now, the aircraft uh, is not particularly old. It was delivered originally in 2009 to uh, Go Air, then stored for a while before it was delivered to uh, CAA. And the MSN is 3,900, so it's not particularly old, powered by two CFM uh, 56 engines. So, yeah, you can see the photos there. Very interesting. A huge chunk of that elevator is missing. So what are your thoughts, uh, Carlos? Well, it's... (sighs) I think I said to you, I'm just going to pop the next pitch up on the screen. I think I said to you, Andy, um, when we were chatting the other day, 
Let me just pop this one up there for those of you watching in YouTube. Well, there's the piece. I was just shocked that uh, that a piece of quite an important part of the aircraft has come off. Yet the pilot decided to, yeah, that's fine. I'll just carry on, and they, and they literally carried on for the entire for the rest of the flight, which was was an hour and a half long, and it was quite a few miles, quite a distance to travel with that degree of part missing. I mean, what what would have been the implications for you know? Um, flight control characteristics and stuff with this piece missing off the aircraft well firstly let's think about what the pilots would experience up the front so would they get any particular warnings to say that hey you've lost part of your elevator well no because it looks like it's come off from behind so from aft of the hinge so there's been no loss of connection for the hydraulics and actuator to the to the hinge system, so there'll be no loss of pressure in the hydraulics. Um, he might have initially thought that this was a roll issue, if he could only turn in one direction. There's a lot of information missing here. Um, for any form of real flight control issue, and if you want to add to that hydraulics, that immediately says to me, you need long runways, and the departure runway was not particularly long. Again, I don't know if there was anywhere more suitable between departure and destination for them to try and land. And again, I'm, I've looked through the manual uh, since you sent me this the other day. For sort of this sort of failure, you can get an elevator servo, fo servo fault or uh, an ELAC or a SEC fault, which might give you a little bit of info. But again, if the hinge isn't mission missing and you pull back on the stick, it's going to show on the flight control page that that elevator has gone up or down in either direction so it's really tricky i think there's a lot of information missing here and this captain may have decided that well i can still fly it it might have been okay in left but it felt better in right hand turn so let's try and get it somewhere where now i've got a long runway might have better fire services better rescue cover but i don't know that's just all the thoughts that have gone through my head what do you think Armando? well here's a question for you would you have done a flyby I don't know that that would be my first no. go-to. A flyby to me is very subjective, and also the people in the tower can only tell you what they see, and you're going past uh, even fully configured 140 knots. You're not really getting a lot of time to look at anything or decide anything. I think a flyby would be useful to go, have I got all of my wheels? Yes. Okay, great, I'll try and land. But for bits missing off an elevator, which looks massive on the ground, but up in the air, might not look like much. No, I wouldn't have bothered, to be honest. Yeah, I don't I'd have so, just yeah. wanted to make sure I'd done some form of calculation. Have I got enough runway to land on? Is this controllable in a landing configuration, which I'd have tried at altitude in case it stalled? Uh, yes, I can still fly. Right, let's try and get it on the ground. In in the When I was down at Delta, we had a good discussion about this, and I believe, so I'm not a, I'm not a Delta employee, I just, you know, attended some training down there. They do not, uh, the, the whole doing the flyby thing by the tower is not a, it's not a trained maneuver. Therefore, no. it's not an accepted maneuver that actually just adds risk to any situation, especially when you have some kind of controllability issue or debatable controllability issue, um, which we knew he, or they, they, the pilots knew because, you know, on the right hand turns only, um, uh, Additionally, a question for you, Andy, is the entire tailplane, when you adjust the trim, does the whole tailplane move or, or yeah, does yeah. the Airbus? Top, 
Yeah, it's trimmable stabilizer, the whole thing moves. Okay, so so I mean total layman here, but but you could trim it out. It would trim a itself. Neutral state, yeah. It would trim itself. So uh, you set the attitude that you want, let go of it, and it will trim it itself. And if it couldn't defect, detect a fault here, then it would just carry on as normal. Unless it detected a fault in any part of the um, stabilizer, so and it gave you a stab jam, uh, jam, then it will carry on normally, in normal law, to trim itself. Yeah. So, so the airplane sounds like it would have been pretty pretty controllable. Yeah. For a landing. I'm with you. I would have just picked the, the longest runway possible and not done a flyby and just kind of put it back on the ground. Just check everything at landing speed that you can still fly it at a decent altitude so that you don't have to... Obviously, you run the calculation. There's, we've got computer software that does it now. You don't have to go peeling through the QRH anymore to find the numbers and interpolate and add a little bit extra on it. tells you exactly what you need to know. Make sure it's controllable and just land it. Get it on the ground, then worry about it. There we go. Piloting one-on-one with Andy. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> You can join me next week for my course on flying it without wheels. There you go. (laughs) That'll be next. That'll be next week's story we have on the show. I expect. Yeah. uh, No, it's good to hear your feedback on that because I I was interested to see what. um, I do think there's a lot missing from this still because it's a very short synopsis of the story, and it'll be very interesting to see what comes back from the um, the FDRs because there'll be a lot of Airbus. The, the data points are just phenomenal, how many parts it actually records. So it'll be very mm. interesting to see what comes from it. And you know, the, the BEA will be involved because it's obviously French-built and they're quite good at um, producing reports. It's funny that we say that. After so many incidents, so many mishaps, we say, well, let's see what happens with this and let's see what comes out of the report. And I feel like we never see a follow-up. Yeah. I think that the news cycle is so fast, even in aviation or within aviation, that that some of these things until... A year later, you say, oh, yeah, you know, that ATR mishap that happened in, you know, Indonesia or something like that. I just saw something like that. But very rarely do we actually see some feedback, don't we? That's very true, unless you go looking for it. Yeah. Well, hopefully, if they if they want to have a place to put that part of the aircraft, I've got a piece of wall left back at home uh, in the home studio. That would look quite good, I suppose, on the, on the ceiling, you know. Anyway, <laughs> perhaps not. Probably end in divorce if I'd done that. Uh, next story is coming to us from traveller.com. And uh, good news, guys, if you're going to travel in premium economy with Air Asia X. Now, I've not flown with Air Asia X, but if you're going to fly with Air Asia X, it might be worth you flying in premium economy because Air Asia X's premium seats are now what used to be the business class seats on many other airlines. Arranged in a 222 configuration, they're quite roomy with 60 inches of pitch, 20 inches of uh, width. Uh, the kicker is, however, that they also convert to a lie flat bed. Yes, you heard me correctly premium economy with a lie flat bed. Uh, it's not quite the level of comfort you'd get in business class suite the full service airlines now offer, but typically with direct dial access, the seat is not entirely flat, but on a slight downward angle. But for a budget airline, it's as good as a seat gets. Uh, baggage, you, uh, in, if you're flying on premium, you'll get a generous 40 kilos of baggage uh, with these guys. I'm going to grab the pictures here uh, for those of you watching in YouTube world. You'll be able to see these here. I'm going to 
put these on here there we go uh you'll be able to get uh yeah 40 kilos of hand luggage uh 40 kilos of hand bag or uh, checking baggage sorry hand luggage is still limited to one bag of up to seven kilos in weight uh for that one entertainment it's bring your own entertainment so if you're flying on uh air Asia x in this premium economy you will have to bring your own entertainment there'll be no streaming wi-fi uh, at all so you've just got to bring your own tablet unfortunately for this one um service wise staff are polite efficient before takeoff premium live flat passengers get asked what time they'd like their meals uh, the call button is answered immediately when asked for a snack on the flight you can buy yourself some pringles or whatever you may desire on board the flight uh, drinks as well you get uh, pre-flight drinks and also uh, beer uh, before takeoff as well you're entitled to as well food you get uh, a meal and a drink is included with the flight a bottle of water is also included in the armrest uh, you can pre-order your meal chicken teriyaki with rice always a good one that is uh, Presentation's not that fancy, it's a plastic dish, but the meal itself, apparently, according to this uh, story, is absolutely delicious. Uh, additional meals cost you $10.00. Uh, given the meals a bit on the small side uh, you might want to buy yourself two of those uh, one more thing thai Air asia x is new to the australian market after an ill-fated brisbane bangkok route was launched shortly before the pandemic hit but it has plans to grow provided demand is there if it happens expect the three times a week flights uh, four from sydney to move to daily flights and also a return to brisbane as well and possibly flights from Perth. So what do you reckon guys? Live flat seats in premium economy. Sounds good. I'm in. Uh, like are the, are these aircraft that have they've taken over from somebody else and it's got like business class seats in but they don't run a business class operation or is it something like Quite that? Possibly, yeah. In a two 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 configuration. That's a great way to brand it. <laughs> They're like, oh we yeah. got rid of first class, we just have premium economy. But it's great. I think that's really nice. It's because it works for them. Yeah. So, Armando, you've got the next story, and uh, it's, uh, well, I thought I'd give this one to you because, uh, well, it's a mishap with a Cessna. Yeah, taking it back to our all our general aviation days, this is also from Flight Global. Uh, Cape Air Cessna 402 was involved in a runway mishap on the 27th of January at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport after the aircraft's nose landing gear failed. Uh, the incident didn't cause any injuries, but it did force the closure of Chicago's runway 9 center and 27 center, according to a notum. Oh, hey, somebody read them. Well, I guess Flight Global read a notum. Um, <laughs> the FAA said that the nose gear collapse of Cape Air Flight 1, a twin-engine Cessna 402 collapsed while landing on runway 27 right at, uh, well, that's interesting. It was on 27 right, but they closed 27 center at Chicago O'Hare uh, six people were on board. The aircraft had been operating a flight from Manistee in Michigan to Chicago, according to Cape Air. Uh, Cape Air is a small airline, part 135 operator out of uh, Hyannis, Massachusetts. Uh, they did say that there were no abnormalities prior to the mishap or prior to the landing. There were no injuries. All passengers and crew were safely transported to the terminal. Now, few events or a few events, few details are known about the event, but there were some images that were published on local media that showing the aircraft uh, registration November 466 Charlie Alpha, Charlie Alpha with its nose resting on the ground. Um, 
Cessna has been manufacturing the 402, well, this version since 1981, um, but I think it started in 1967, something like that. It's just under 2,000 of them um, between the 402 and the 401. Um, Cape Air specifically has about 70 of these uh, Cessna 402s, which it operates on short routes across the U.S. uh, from several U.S. cities, including Boston Logan, um, which is actually home to the, air, the operator's largest um, hub. Now, the airline, and we did talk about this on the show also, has started replacing its 402s with the new Technum P2012, P2012 uh, Travelers. It's a twin-engine piston. Um, they have about 30 of those in service, and I'm not here to pick on them, but I've heard from a lot of sources in this scheduled Part 135 world that those Technums are actually a little more maintenance-intensive than Cape Air was originally planning on them being. Um, and, you know, the Cessna 402, while it's a little bit long in the tooth, it is a reliable platform that's uh, just been going for years and years and years. So, um, yeah, Cape Air does a lot of essential air service. I know I was on an airline that directly competed with Cape Air, and a lot of times we would see each other on the ramp. We were always parked next to each other. You see the same pilots day in, day out, and you just kind of looked over at each other and just uh, until you both sat down at the airport McDonald's. And then everybody just has that part 135 survivor patch on their white shirts. The main thing is no one was injured, apart from the aircraft. Yeah, pretty, I mean, from a safety standpoint, pretty uh, big nothing burger, as I like to say. Mm. <laughs> I mean, a nose gear collapse on a Cessna four, 400 series, that probably happens more often than you think. I mean, there's more of them than 747s, built. Yeah, yeah, there's 2,000, so about 500 more. So, yeah. and, and the 310, the Cessna 310, you know, is terrible with its nose uh, gear, actually, its entire landing gear system. The, the Cessna 210, what did I say? The the 210 is terrible. The 310 is also known to have a lot of landing gear issues. So it's... I've got a soft spot for the 310. I don't know why. I just like it. So a point to we... make. If you're thinking of buying one of these guys and girls out there in the world of P2K land, d- don't buy one. Stick to, a <laughs> stick to a 150 or 172. You can't get 10 people on it, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing, right? Like the competitor to... A 402 is probably a Navajo, maybe a Beach 99, something like that. Piper Navajo, Beach 99. Um, That's about the same size aircraft. But, you know, Cessna's always had that a corner in that market. So, yeah. Probably go for, well, I don't know, maybe $150,000, $200,000 for an old 402 that that you could fly around your family in. There you go, Carlos. Get yourself one. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll run that by the boss. Speaking of divorce. literally run run it by the boss, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've I've still I'm still um, I'm still waiting or deciding where to put that RB two eleven blade on the uh, the wall at the moment. We're just deciding what part of the office wall I'm going to hang it on because it's got to be a, a fairly structurally sound part of the wall which I which I put that blade on the shelf because it is a weight a weighty piece of uh, titanium, definitely. Yeah. Um, John Jester in the chat room in the chat room says that Cape Air is actually the go-to company for maintaining the Cessna 402, and that both Cessna and the FAA go to Cape Air for, oh, wow. for their questions. They are the experts so, then. Yeah, 
I mean, Cape Air has been around. Do you, you remember the show Wings? Sandpiper Air had the, the, I think the Hackett Brothers or something like that. It was an old sitcom from the early 90s, I think. I think that was kind of all loosely based on Cape Air. And the, and the airplane in the Wings opening sequence is still flying for Cape Air today. That has some really deep av geek, like catacombs of av geek geekedness. I'm impressed. <laughs> anyway, so Carlos, I think you've got the next one, which is uh, no, it's no, me. Andy's, oh, Andy's got the next Andy. one, and yeah. uh, actually, this this story, I suppose, Armando would 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 apply to you quite heavily because you've got obviously a couple of pooches. Andy, have you got uh, dogs as well or not? I've had dogs in the past, and uh, well, I'm looking to get another one. But yes, the story's for you then. Yeah, so here we go then. Pampered pooches on UK's first private jets for pets airline prepare for takeoff. Oh, there's a lot of peas in there, wasn't there? <laughs> the UK's first private jet company for pets has been flooded with requests ahead of its launch later this month. Although tickets for the first, of course, K9 jets flights don't even go on sale until the end of February, 2,200 people have already registered their interest in the service. Owners and their pets will clamber aboard a luxury Gulfstream jet that seats no more than 10 passengers with their pets and take off on routes between the east coast of the US, London, Paris and Lisbon. Tickets start at £7,100, which includes space for one human, one human and their pet, as well as <laughs> private terminal fees, luggage and all taxes. I'll say that again, £7,100 for a person and a pet. While the service will mostly cater for the cats and dogs market, creatures including parrots and rabbits are welcomed, so long as all of their paperwork is in order. K9 Jets was founded by a Birmingham-based executive assistant, Kirsty, and pilot Adam Golder, who currently run more traditional private jet firm uh, G6 Aviation, which generally caters for high-net-worth families, music moguls, footballers, and royal families. They spotted a gap in the market in 2022 amid... Um, amid a surge in demand from pet owners relocating from the UK to the US and vice versa, who were terrified of condemning their mutts and muggies to commercial aircraft. Anne Baines, who does PR for K9 Jets, explained to the Mirror how the system works. The passengers form a group and share the cost of a private charter where dogs can sit by their owner's lap or snooze by their feet, rather than subjecting their beloved pets to cargo in a commercial aircraft, she said. Chartering a private jet is a luxury service... However, with the opportunity to purchase a seat rather than a whole jet, it makes it more in reach for those who want to travel or relocate across the Atlantic. People are also working more flexibly in a remote manner, which means it's easier to work from home in a different country, opening up new experiences for home working. The price tag of moving a pet abroad varies hugely depending on the means of transport and the destination country, but it typically costs several thousands of pounds to make a UK to US move. Madison and James Miller recently found the emotional toll was much higher than this when their dog Bluebell ended up in Saudi Arabia, I shouldn't laugh, rather than the US, following a British Airways <laughs> mix-up. I mean, that is a big mix-up. Anna says that some pet owners aren't willing to fly commercial and aren't able to book a place on the pet-friendly cruise liner like the Queen Mary 2 due to very high demand. On the flight themselves, dogs must be on their leads and cats in their carriers with a member of staff providing refreshments throughout the flight. I hope that's for the people and the dogs, cats. 
The launch of uh, the airline is unlikely to be welcomed by the environmental activists given the much higher impact of private jets per passenger than commercial ones. So there we go. <laughs> this sounds uh, like a nightmare yeah. from a piloting standpoint. Can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine a Gulf Stream full of seven hounds and one rabbit? Yeah. I just two thousand two hundred people have got too much money if you ask me. <laughs> so this is I'm in a conundrum here, right? Because I fly corporate. There's a lot of our listeners that fly corporate. Uh if it wasn't for those individuals and their net worth and their resources, we wouldn't have jobs. Mm. Um, you know, one of the, I'd love to get your take on this, Andy, but you know, one of the, one of, <laughs> you're going to get it. <laughs> one of the things that I always try to reconcile is like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, I know I love flying. I know I love aviation. Um, the corporate world and, and private flying, flying, people with the resources, you know, to, to do this is sometimes interesting. And we do some pretty silly flights sometimes, you know, 80% of them are, are, are good. And you know, you're getting them to their families or their business meetings, things like that. And, and I've seen the graphs where all the economics works on business aviation, especially when you get a company, you get executives that, that their time is worth so much money that it actually works out to a, yeah. uh, financially beneficial to take private aviation. But at the same time, I got, you know, a, a good buddy of mine. I th I had a, a terrible, not a, not a terrible, but an absurd story where I ended up having to fly a, a CPAP mask, like, you know, yeah, yeah. breathing at night. For breathing, yeah. Yeah, I had to fly that from uh, A to B. And that was, you know, probably cost about $5,000 for a, for a $69 CPAP mask um, because they needed it. And I thought that was my most absurd story until my buddy told me that once he flew, he had no idea. He was told to go to Raleigh and he was doing a flight up to the DC area somewhere. And when he showed up instead of passengers, it was just a crock pot. Like they wanted to get a crock pot of, of food to a family dinner in, in DC. <sighs> $4,000, I mean, he was flying a citation at the time. <laughs> and sometimes you just go, like, what are we doing here, man? <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I fly in a very different world to you. I'm all about mass transportation, getting filling the airplane with 186, 249 people, and going from A to B, dumping them, taking it a load, coming back. Your world's much different to mine. And I get it. It's It's got its place for, like you say, for people where time is money. And for important things like medical, especially medical. So I've got a friend of mine who works as a doctor. He spends entire time on very light jets, like um, Mustangs and stuff, jetting back and forwards across the country and into Europe, saving people's lives. And that's important. But for your pets, just bung them in the hold of a BA flight and hope <laughs> for the best. Yeah, that's a... I mean, I mean, pets are very important to people. I get that. Uh, I've I've had the emotional connection to pets. I know what it's like. But oh, come on, I would never pay seven grand to transport me pet across the ocean. Well, you, no would, way. you would do if you're a multi-millionaire, Andy. Let's be honest. But then you wouldn't be doing this, would you? Well, true. Yeah, I suppose. Oh, Armando, have you obviously you've been flying corporate stuff now for quite a while? Have you had any um, pets 
on board for a flight. Oh yeah, all the time, all the time. We we have pets. Uh, I'd say twenty percent of the time, I have some some pet, and sometimes they're huge dogs, right? Like so, I one of my clients has got this. Uh, he's got to be seventy pounds, some kind of poodle, you know, purebred poodle or something like that. He's a great traveler. Um, actually, yeah, a lot a lot of my regulars will ha- will have their uh, have one German Shepherd, one poodle. <coughs> That are, excuse me. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they're great travelers. I mean, they're very well trained. They get up on the airplane. They usually just sit in the back. Sometimes um, the poodle is, is his name is Ranger, and it's pretty cool because sometimes you'll be up front <laughs> flying and then just you'll just feel the wet nose on your elbow or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is why I work a... behind a locked door. <laughs> this was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to pet a dog while you're, you know, at, at altitude and you've got nothing else to do. But, yeah, we, we have a lot of pets. So moving on to the next story, which doesn't involve uh, pets or wet noses. Um, it involves BA. It's from Twitter.com. And uh, it's a discussion on the recent change in social media policies for BA. I'd like to hear your you guys um points on this because obviously you're both uh, pilots in the industry uh, british airways has refreshed its social media policies which regulate what and when employees can and can't post online regarding their line of work while employees of the uk flag carrier previously uh, had uh, previously had a responsible degree of freedom on this front the airline has reminded staff not to post while professionally engaged what about if they're married? Uh, on Wednesday evening, accounts that had previously showcased an insight into the life of the carrier took to social media to explain that their activities would have to change going forward due to the refresh. Uh, Captain Dave on Twitter posted, Unfortunately, due to new published company guidelines, I and my colleagues will no longer be able to post when professionally engaged in our job at BA. So that's the end of my flying posts, photos, videos. Thanks for all the lovely comments over the years. 24 hours later, BA released its own statement on social media saying that we're not stopping colleagues from posting on social media. Quite the opposite. We've simply refreshed our existing guidelines, giving people, our biggest ambassadors, more clarity about what appropriate e.g. no photos when carrying out safety-critical or customer-focused tasks. Uh, BA explained that we're given uh, our people clarity that, about what is appropriate and when. For example, when our colleagues are flying an aircraft, they're responsible for the safety of everyone on board. It's not unreasonable to ask them to wait until their break to take photos. Nothing has changed in terms of the actual social media guidelines. We've just provided additional clarity about what is and isn't acceptable. The guidelines ask colleagues not to post social media when they're professionally engaged in a job, e.g. serving customers on board or flying the aircraft. And BA's external social media guidelines recognises the advantages of social media as a means of sharing employees' passion for their work, as well as strengthening the wider BA brand. However, the airline also reminded its workers that certain content may and could have negative impacts come on in guys you both obviously uh andy yeah uh, you work for a large uh, european airline uh, yep. and uh wh- i mean what are your company's guidelines if you can tell us uh, i've got to be honest i've got no idea because i have no interest in it. when i'm at work i'm at work 
and I'm there to do a job, especially as I work in, you know, in standards as well. So my job is to maintain the standard that's expected of a professional airline pilot. I don't have time to be taking photos and sticking stuff on social media because I'd rather just concentrate on the job. Now, I understand why people are getting upset about it because a picture from a flight deck is a beautiful thing. We get the best views in the world. Um, but, you know, everything's got its time and its place. And I can see why a lot of them are, shall I use the word whinging about it? But to me, it makes perfect sense, especially from BA's side as well, because it can bring them unwanted... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Unwanted... Oh, I can't even think of it. Attention. Attention, yeah. That You know, if somebody's been recording an approach or something like that and stuck it on social media, which I've seen happen before, and then people go, well, why aren't you concentrating on your job? I don't know if this is aimed at the pilots as well, because there's a lot of mention there about, you know, don't be doing social media while you're serving the passengers. So I don't know if cabin crew have been taking pictures very inappropriately. I've got no idea. But to me, it's not something that's ever crossed my mind to be taking picture of things and sticking it on social media. Yeah, I will agree with you on this one. The British Airways updated policy applies to all crew, right? So it includes the cabin crew, not just the pilots. Cabin um, crew, engineers, everybody. Yeah, and, and I do agree with this. I just recently had a flight with an individual. Um, I was training them in the and the Pilatus and they wouldn't turn off their phone. And uh, I actually stopped the airplane. I did a full stop landing and they, I asked them to turn their phone off uh, because they were still, we're all addicted to it, right? We're addicted to our phones. You see it while people are driving. Um, and now you have the Apple watch or smartwatch that now just is a repeater of all the notifications that you're getting on the phone. So if you're, if you have anything on, right. And keep in mind, sometimes I record flights too. Um, I record them for our, our fellow podcast hosts. And sometimes I record them for our, our Patreon supporters. Um, they're never passenger carrying flights. It's always an empty flight, mm. but I don't, I don't know that that necessarily excuses anything because it, you still know it's there. And now that's an, that's another, that's another smidge of bandwidth that is being taking taken off your mind because you know something's recording you know that whether the, the gopros yeah. go in your your phone is going off or even just you know as soon as you get to three thousand feet your phone picks up a little bit of cell phone service you haven't your apple watch goes off and you start getting notifications if you're trying to hand fly an approach and your left wrist or your right wrist is going bzz, 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 you know it's it's pulling penguins off the iceberg and it's just not i could I kind of agree with all airlines having a policy. Now, here in the U.S., it's actually in the in the Code of Federal Regulations. It's in the FARs that, you know, from basically block out to block in, your phone, your personal electronic device needs to be, you know, on standby or off. And I I kind of extend that to creating content while airborne. Um, I think there's probably other things. Now, I'm not a long haul guy. I don't know. You know, if you're sitting there for six or eight hours at a time, is there nothing else to do? You know, but doing this. But 
you know, I'm one of those people that keeps their head in the game the whole time. Um, I, I will occasionally take pictures at work if I am doing it to produce training material for work. So if I've been asked to produce something, I need some images of certain pages of an ECAM system or the FMGC or something like that. I'll do it in the cruise, but of course, then I don't go publishing it all over social media and stuff. But that's literally it. And with actual mobile phone use, me, I mean, I must be old school. I'm only 37, but like, I literally, on a turnaround, I'll text my wife and go, how's everything at home? I won't even look at before. I'll do everything else before I go have a quick look. She's replied, or she hasn't because she's busy with work. And then I'm off to the next sector. That's it. So you do see a, a lot of first officers these days, the, uh, the new generation who are just literally on their phone constantly because that that's how they've grown up. Yeah. I was going to say, Sturman in the chat room just saying that he loves the GoPro footage that pilots put on, obviously on YouTube, the point of view um, stuff they <clears> do. <throat> but it is all edited and posted after the flight. Um, he loves yeah. those, and uh, and for me too. When you there are there are quite a few pilots I follow on Instagram and and on YouTube who do those kind of same the the video that Armando shot with me uh, when I was flying with him in the states, um, uh, you know, a, a year ago. Um, those sort of back foot, you know, the back uh, camera footage of the flight deck, and you can hear the stuff that's going on, and they are really interesting, and I think they, in some way, help to possibly with youngsters who are watching these videos you know kind of you know, you know make the young, your younger people in uh, may want to pursue a career in aviation what do you think they, they do lead you open to criticism as well i saw a video the other day of an approach into somewhere it was it was gin clear it, the air looked pretty still it was an airbus and the guy was doing this with a stick <laughs> it was everywhere he was hitting the stops and everything and I was like, that's just massive over-controlling for the camera. And then the second he landed, he just let go of the stick. The nose just smashed on the runway. Didn't even go for the tiller. It was just hands off everything. I was just like, why would you put that on social media to look cool? I will, um, I will record a lot of flights for training purposes. So one of the operators that I work for has what's called a pilot development program. So we take young pilots, put them in the right seat of a single pilot airplane like the Pilatus, um, and that's a pretty big leap when you when you go from a Cessna 172 or even a Seneca or something like that in your training to a, a, a turbine airplane that's doing uh, 300 almost 300 knots and you're in the flight levels going into Class B airports. Um, that's a pretty big leap. So a lot of times I, w I will record a flight. I don't post it anywhere. It's literally yeah, just a exactly. That's different, Armando. You're you're recording that and it's not interfering with what you're doing, yeah. and you're using that for training. I mean, we do we do that in the Sims now. You can record the the Sims yeah. from behind and and from the front to see where your eyes are, and that's useful because that's not interfering with the operation of the aircraft, and you're yeah. not posting it out there for likes and all that sort of stuff, which is what a lot of the motivations for as well. Yeah, and you mentioned it, Andy. Also, that un that unwanted attention, unwanted publicity. Um, coming from the military, we were we were very strict on what yeah. you post in your uh capacity as a military member right and you had to ensure that anything that you do on social media is not a reflection of of the the military branch that you work for and i think it's entirely within a company's uh you know purview to say we want to control the messaging um 
you know, that's, I don't, I don't think that's entirely off the reservation for, for BA or any other company to say, Hey, we, we're going to designate some people to be our brand ambassadors, but we don't want a bunch of loose content out there. Um, that, yeah. that isn't sort of endorsed by the company. So I, I, I agree with I this. Totally Can you see uh, in the chat room, uh, Andy, the comment from Alex? Uh, I've seen a video. <laughs> At a hundred feet uh, on approach, chopping the power. Wow. Okay, that but that was a heavy landing. <laughs> oh, oh, that sends shivers down my spine. Even thinking about doing that. Yeah, there's a lot of people agreeing with us in there as well. You know, this the whole likes. It is. I mean, I will stop talking about it in a second because we've got <laughs> plenty more things to get through. But it seems to be a sort of an addiction to the social media likes. It's like. You know, the buzz of drinking or smoking or whatever, that's the new thing now. Getting the likes, that's what they need. Mm. There we go. I've had my bit. I haven't even started about politics yet, you know. <laughs> no, that's, that's coming up later. That's, yeah, that's for the post show. Blimey. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of, of social media, so this next story is a family of five flying around the world in a tiny airplane. Um, spending over a year flying around the world with your family in a tiny airplane uh, is something that most people could either imagine or only imagine, or maybe dread. Uh, but this is a reality for the porters from Canada who are currently about halfway through their 14-month circumnavigation of the world. Ian Porter, who has been a private pilot for around four decades, and his wife, Michelle, their daughters, Samantha, Sydney, uh, who also happen to be qualified pilots, and their son, Christopher, set off from Vancouver in June of 2022 and have been basically traveling every day since. The family who are taking the low and slow approach to the trip have already visited around 20 countries, including the U.S., Brazil, Bolivia, uh, Paraguay, Argentina, Panama, Costa Rica, and Honduras have flown around 25,000 nautical miles. According to the dad, flying a single-engine airplane around the world is a dream that's probably somewhere in the back of the mind of all pilots. But he began to look into the prospect a little bit more seriously a couple years ago after going on a few long-distance fundraising trips. Uh, the real estate developer, who had always longed to spend more time traveling with his family, as most of us do, saw this window of opportunity with Samantha planning to take a year off from university and Sydney graduating from high school. Meanwhile, their son Christopher had just experienced a dry run of remote schooling during the pandemic, so they knew that this was a viable option for him, while his wife Michelle had been a full-time homemaker for a number of years. So, convinced that it was pretty much now or never, Ian quickly set about to convince the rest of the family to take the plunge into this trip. Um, once everybody was on board with the idea, he found a suitable aircraft for this expedition. Um, he said that he wanted to do the, the entire trip under VFR um, and they didn't need it. They didn't see a need to file or seek approval for flight plans, which I, I wonder how that's going for them traveling between country to country. Um, they also factored into the choice that the most aircraft most aircraft used around the world are larger and require routes that are planned in advance or approved by air traffic controllers. So basically, they just wanted an airplane that could take five people, some survival gear, a reasonable amount of luggage. Um, eventually, they came across, across the Gips Aero GA-8 airvan. Uh, this is a modern aircraft manufactured in Australia. It is a piston engine aircraft. It looks like a mini Cessna caravan. Um, and there was one available for sale just um, pretty nearby their home to uh, Vancouver. They bought the aircraft. They nicknamed it Moose for about uh, half a million dollars. And the rest is history. 
Um, Ian describes their single-engine aircraft, which can carry up to eight people and is capable of doing 125 knots for up to five hours as the sport utility vehicle of the sky. Now, they are doing this for a charitable cause. They aim to raise $1 million for SOS Children's Villages, which is an international charity focused on supporting children in over 130 countries that uh, do not have parental care or are families uh, at risk. And they'll plan on doing that while, while posting to social media during the course of this trip. And um, you can go to their website at 5inthesky, the number 5inthesky.com, and I'm sure they are posting all the links to their uh, charitable causes on this. Isn't that nice? I need to get into real estate. There's plenty of money there, isn't there? Yeah, well, it goes back to the previous topic. Yeah, got to have plenty of money to do that. Wow, half a million pound aeroplane. Oh, yeah, nice. it's got a co- it's got a cost. I wouldn't even know how to put. It. You know, we've had some some guests on the show that have done uh, around the world trips. I don't know that we've ever talked about the cause, the cause, the cost of of doing a trip like this. Most of them were sponsored. I would. Yeah. I can only imagine that you're talking a couple hundred thousand dollars between fuel fees mm. maintenance oh, lodging. Easily. yeah yeah so, but it's good it's good that they raise a million dollars that's brilliant that cost must be phenomenal though but it yeah, looks like definitely. a lot of fun yeah their pictures are amazing yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think i could have spent that much time in a aircraft with my parents and my <laughs> sister but <laughs> mind <laughs> Well, listen, this won't surprise you, but I've actually flown the GA-8 because Civil Air Patrol has uh, a bunch of them. It's not the most comfortable aircraft. Is there anything you haven't flown? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Some of my dream aircraft. Like, I want to fly Warbirds. I want to be that old guy, the white stash. I want to be Captain Jeff, basically. Just retired and, like, going around from commemorative Air Force unit to to unit and just fly, like, T-6s and A-26 invaders and... And F six Hellcats and just all these old radial engines. You need the white yeah. scarf as well with the wire in, so the sort of the, the scarf is <laughs> just sitting there, you know. You mean like my Halloween costume for yeah. the last ten years? <laughs> you you will look good with that little white mustache. You will. Right? Mm. Uh, well I can't grow it up here, so I might as well put it on my face. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> clean shaven Armando. Moving swiftly on to the next story, Andy, and yeah. uh, your views on this one. Okay then, so Air Canada Rouge Airbus A321 made it due to multiple successive fault messages. So this was an Airbus A321 operated by uh, Air Canada Rouge, which was flying from Cozumel in Mexico to its home base at Toronto Pearson on uh, the 23rd of Jan, when issues arose with various systems. The issues were so severe that the crew was forced to declare Mayday and divert to Tampa, Florida. According to the Av Herald, uh, the flight which was registered, Charlie Gulf Hotel, Quebec, India, was performing flight uh, RV 1997 from Cozumel to Toronto, we know that, when the incident occurred. Cruising at flight level 370 across the Gulf of Mexico and some 250 miles north of the departure field, the flight crew began to receive multiple successive fault messages on the aircraft's ECAM, which is Electronic Centralised Aircraft Monitoring System. 
The ECAM is used to monitor and display engine and aircraft system information to the pilots. Messages alerted the crew of issues with the aircraft's ELAC, which is the elevator and aileron computer, stabilizer, autopilot, and yellow hydraulic system. As a result of these issues, the aircraft's fly-by-wire system reverted from normal law to alternate law. Um, as a pilot here explains, when met with certain failure conditions, the aircraft control laws degrade to alternate law. In alternate law, most of the envelope protections are lost except for the load factor protection. Yeah, that's right. The flight crew then declared Mayday and diverted to Tampa, and during the flight's approach towards the diversion airport, the aircraft's fly-by wire further degraded to direct law, a setting where all the protections uh, are lost, and the pilot is required to trim the aircraft manually. Now, just to add a bit there, if you're in alternate law and you put the gear down, it will go to direct law anyway, so that's what it could be talking about. Despite the changes, the aircraft systems and controls, uh, the pilots landed the aircraft safely, approximately 50 minutes after the issue surfaced. Uh, apparently this aircraft was delivered to Air Canada in January 2019 as a second-hand airframe uh, with an age of eight and a half years at the time of the article's publication, so it's not that old. It began flying in Russia and then it flew for the now-defunct uh, Iceland um, budget airline WOW. And as of November 2022, it had flown 20,000 hours and 5,652 cycles, so it's not that much really. So yeah, an interesting one. I don't know anything about laws and direct laws. and I have like four cables that are linked to the yoke that are labeled direct law. <laughs> and they go all yeah. the way back to the tail. You're in direct law all the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so normal law, obviously you get protections, high bank, uh, high pitch, low pitch, overspeed. And you get the low speed protection as well. In alternate law, they all sort of disappear a bit. And normally you need two major failures for it to drop into alternate law and then normally apart from a few failures i won't get massively technical in alternate law once the second you put the gear down the aircraft reverts to direct law so then you've got to manually trim it it's just like a cessna 172 or 737 or anything like that now looking at these failures it's in the elac stabilizer autopilot and yellow hydraulic system to be fair this is probably a fault somewhere in the avionic system somewhere because the chances of having all of those failures at once it is very, 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 very small. So it, it, it looks like something's gone wrong somewhere within the computers. So something like this, you just do like a, a massive control alt delete, like let the airplane go dark and <laughs> and it and it comes back. Do you, it, where do you start troubleshooting? You have to troubleshoot. You can do an all control delete on the ground, but unfortunately not in the air. So you'd have to you'd have multiple checklist on the ecam to run through you'd have to keep going through each one once you've cleared them out and done all the actions then you get the summary page at the end which is the best page on the airbus because it tells you what extra things you need to do for an approach and landing and then it lists all the systems that are in op so it's a great little summary of <laughs> this is what's not working here's the extra bit you need to do for this approach give, give me an ex give me an example of something that would be extra that you would have to consider um, approach. Add, and speed, add and speed to the um, V approach speed or V ref as you'd call it on anything else. Just for a lack of protection? Yeah, it's, it's just saying in, it might as well, certain failures will say you need to use flap 3 for this instead of flap full. Um, but if you if you look through the 
expanded checklist in the FCOM. It'll give you all those details as well. It's just a great little page when you, especially when you're doing your brief, you can just press uh, the bring the summary page up, and it will show you all those bits and pieces that you can talk about. And now with the FS Plus software, which has replaced the um, the main part, the QRH, you can just plug each one of the failures in, and it will take all of them into account and give you the speed you need to use, what flap setting you need to use, and it'll tell you how much runway you're going to need to land in the current conditions. But this does look like really something has gone catastrophically wrong somewhere in the avionics bay to have that many failures, because it's so rare to have that many yeah. issues at once. Perhaps a, uh, a Windows update, Andy. Yeah, well, I think this thing still uses DOS or something like that. You know? <laughs> Linux. Yeah, well, I know. You know, we have Pip. Pip is in the sh- in the chat room today. This is our this is our QRH. You know, it's it's pretty hefty. Uh, it's got some performance stuff in there, but that's literally it. These are your equivalent of ECAM lights. This is for the for the Hawker. The Hawker. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we're we're still very much a. Uh, uh, who's flying the airplane? Who's reading the checklist? You know, if we if we get any kind of um, see our, our, or cautions. our current QRH looks like that, but in a couple of weeks' time, it's just been chopped down to an A five with about seven or eight pages oh, wow. in it. Wow! Because the 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 software on on the EFB is so good now, um, it will do everything for you. Yeah, crazy. Mm. Yeah. Yes, something see, something has gone wrong downstairs underneath them here. That would be my first thought when all of those <laughs> things come up at once. Sounds like a great Friday night. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Aaron P in the chat room says, uh, "I wonder if liquid seeped into the avionics bay." Yeah, could have. That's an, there used to be a lot of issues with that. Do you remember when the three fifty first came out as well? They had to put that plastic tray over the centre pedestal yes, if they wanted to use passenger drinks around. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. It's very it's a sensitive aeroplane when it comes to liquid. Yeah, I think most are. Yeah, well, um, yeah. <laughs> so Armando, well, you well, sorry, we'll, oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in the caption. This. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the mili- um, yeah. military special caption this this week. Uh, Armando, you've got the last story in the uh, folder this week. Yeah, Carlos, uh, I love you to death, but I had to replace the the source of this story um, because the one the one that you sent had uh, probably the worst Google translation of of a story. So I, this is actually from SimpleFlying.com. A Lion Air Boeing seven thirty seven collided with the terminal. So this seven thirty seven collided with the terminal building at Mopa International Airport in South Papua in Indonesia. Was Incident occurred on Thursday, January 26th on a flight bound for Jayapura, and no injuries were reported on board. The 737-900 was scheduled to depart for the provincial provincial capital of Jayapura on flight 767. Shortly after 9 o'clock, as the plane was departing stand number 5, heading towards runway 34, the winglet struck. Um, they called it a jet bridge. It wasn't actually a jet bridge. It was actually a stairway. Um, on the airport terminal building. A footage posted by passengers showed the plane continuing for a moment before returning to the terminal area. Now, the terminal area and the aircraft both su- sustained significant structural damage. Um, now, the airport is one of these, and Carlos has got the pictures. Of the, I think the, the terminal took most of the damage there. But it's one of the most easternmost airports in the country, serves as a main gateway to several tourist destinations, um, most notable, which is the Wasir National Park. 
Now, the aircraft had about 117 adult passengers, four children, one toddler, seven crew members at the time of the incident. And some footage that made its way to, to Twitter um, showed the aircraft continuing down the taxiway. It was actually a runway um, before eventually returning to a different stand. And the affected passengers were given the option of transferring to another flight or just receiving a refund. So I actually took a look at the airport uh, on Google Earth. Um, stand five just happens to be the only one that has a stairway like that. The, the entire terminal is just blocked off. So you would walk out at what you would consider ground level to the stands. There's about uh, eight stands at, at this airport. Uh, stand five is the one closest to the terminal, has a stairway that you saw in the pictures there. And I, I can see this happening where if they were off the line, uh, the the as they basically did a 180 degree U turn uh, to turn from facing the terminal, turn it around to get facing away from the terminal and out to the taxiway. There's also not a lot of taxiways on this airport. It's basically just a a, a ramp with two entrances that go directly to the runway. So I could see this happening, and you can see that on the pictures that Carlos is showing there that the the wingtip probably just crushed inwards you know towards the towards the body of the fuselage of the aircraft and really the the terminal took most of the damage i saw a bunch of social media that the pilots were taking the runway and and how could they take off like this that none of that ever happened the only way to get back to the terminal is to go out on the runway and then taxi in the other entrance so that's that's why the video showed them on a runway with the crinkled up winglet um now that all being said pretty remote area i don't know is, is this just a you know take the old one off bolt the new one on type thing it'll buff out moment <laughs> it's a lot of work to swap one of those i remember when we started to get uh sharklets as they called on the airbus fitted to swap one takes a long time but i'm not that- sure we can fly without <clears throat> Well, it can fly without wing fences. Oh, so you remember the old, the, just oh, the flat end that we yeah. used to have, that some Airbus still have, and then the later ones, the Sharklets. I know we can fly without, with one wing fence missing. I'm not sure about a Sharklet, though, because that's quite a a big difference on each side. So I don't know if, it, if uh, Boeing have the same option. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, plus, you know, there was a military story this week that I didn't include, um, the Navy was celebrating the fact that they were able to replace a couple panels on an aircraft carrier, something that would num- normally be done on a, on a ground-based facility. And, and it's kind of the same thing, right? So you have a remote outstation airport. Now you got to fly the parts in. you got to figure out how to get there. you got to fly a team in, the right engineers, the right experience, the right tools um, to go out to one of your outstations. And then there's no hangar facilities, so you're doing out in the elements. Uh, that yeah. interesting. Now, I know Lee Davies is in the uh, chat room. He was just talking earlier in there about uh, the airliner's live feed that, we, that I tuned into last Sunday up at Manchester. We're going to get those guys on the show soon, so hopefully, fingers crossed. Oh. And uh, they, Did he go to Manchester a lot? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> But they, they were featuring us at last week, I was watching that, and they had the, was it the Jet 2 757s, which they're still using, the Jet the, uh, 75s there. And I tell you what, there was Dreamliners, there was 330s um, flying out of there last Sunday, but out of all those aircraft, the one that looked and sounded the best 
was that 757 when that was spooling the engines up without question you can't because uh, obviously i fly out of manchester and first thing in the morning even when it's around the other side of the terminal you know the sound of an rb211 mm. you can't miss it it is yeah, um for sure that is one hell of a sound definitely so armando it's uh time for military news so uh right. i shall hand things over to you well lucky for you carlos we've got no media um but let's go ahead and hit the button Oh, I love this. Uh, Dirk has just uh, initiated the the GMOC, the Gray Mug Owners Club. By the way, I'll take this as an opportunity to push our mugs, which, sorry, I guess we do have two (laughs) versions. Not our only mug, but this is our favorite mug, which has got Mac the Osprey on it, Plain Talking UK, and is I only listen for the gray stuff with our website. Anyways, uh, as I always say, you don't just have to put coffee or tea in there. It's good for other things, too. Um, so in our tech update, the this is something that we got really excited about just a few months ago on the show. We talked about the uh, MC-130J, Special Operations C-130s, going on floats. The initial test flight of this amphibious version of an MC-130J Special Operations Transport was anticipated to take place this year. Those plans have changed. Uh, according to Air Force spokesperson from Air Force Special Operations Command, they said, we were initially aiming to conduct an operation capability demonstration in 2023. Um, however, for a variety of reasons at this time, they do not have the capability demonstration scheduled. Those reasons vary from funding challenges to recent reprioritization of capabilities. Uh, the spokesperson did not elaborate on the reasons that she sh- cited for the change in plans for the aircraft, dubbed the MC-130J Commando to amphibious capability, or, man, we were ahead of the game, the MAC. Uh, now, the drive.com did ask for some clarification. They said they would update the story if they get a response, but for whatever reason, yet another setback for a program that has now seen its goal line shift to the right for a second time. That starts making me wonder, are we ever going to actually see the MC-130J on floats? Um, we'd love to, right? I mean, the DC-3 on floats, we talked about that one. There's been some great aircraft in history that have been put on floats. Um, anyway, kind of speaking of aircraft on floats, the second part of my tech update for the week is that the Pentagon has now selected two teams to further develop their designs for a full-scale demonstrator uh called the Liberty Lifter X-Plane. Aurora Flight Sciences, who's been around for a long, long time, um, and this company, General Atomics, who has been working with uh, the Department of Defense for many, 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 many years, are pursuing two very different designs for phase one of the project. Um, As a DARPA, or Defense Advanced Research Projects, Projects Agency press release distributed this week shows Uh, The Liberty Lifter X-Plane project aims to deliver a long-range, low-cost X-Plane 
using a wing-in-ground effect, a Cranoplan-like concept. The artwork that Carlos has just posted on there, uh, released by DARPA, shows that the Aurora Flight Sciences concept, which had not been seen before, resembled more of a traditional flying boat of the Clipper style. Uh, the concept featured a single hull, high wing, eight turboprops for propulsion. It always uh, it also looks similar to uh, a Boeing uh, Phantom Works Pelican uh, wing in ground effect design concept from about, I don't know, 20 years ago or something like that. In a separate release uh, published by Aurora, the company notes that its concept will employ a robust and adaptive control system designed to meet the challenge of operations to and from sea surface and at low altitude around waves and obstacles, using innovative technologies to avoid operational limitations, blah, 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 blah. Lots of big words, lots of uh, big words joined together. There is a YouTube video that you can actually go check out on uh, DARPA. Literally, DARPA has a channel. Um, and they're they're talking about this Liberty Lifter. This may be, this may be the reason that that C one thirty concept just got put on hold, uh, because they're they may be shifting focus to sort of a clean sheet concept like like we're seeing here on Liberty. So kind of these two stories go together. Obviously, this is in response to the uh, geopolitical situation in the Pacific, uh, where we're going to need some air mobility out to remote locations. Um, Carlos has a great video there, right? Like, th oh, this is the DARPA video, but this is none of this is new. The Russians have come up with concepts like this. We came up with concepts like this years ago. It's been around. You can see some of these aircraft actually down in, in uh, what is it? Uh, Lakeland airport. They have one of these at, at, at a museum, which was basically a, a hover plane that just, you know, is in ground effect over the water. But, Sorry, Armando. Just further down that article, has somebody put a picture there of the spruce goose? Well, I mean, yeah, it goes back, it goes back that far where the spruce goose was the iconic seaplane. Um, but all the Pan Am Clippers, if you watch any of the documentaries on on Pan Am, they they were the ones that really, um, you know, kind of pioneered this whole Clipper concept to go out and and land on water and visit all these ports. And, and of course, the, the military is just kind of following along. Yeah. Pretty cool, though, huh? Oh, yeah. Rocket airplanes. I don't know. I, I think they could have probably gotten the C-130 on floats quicker than developing one of these from scratch. But at the same time, nowadays, with, with the technology that we have, maybe maybe the capabilities were so much more with a, a clean sheet design that they would, you know, it's more advantageous to just scrap the whole you know, put the C-130 on floats project. It is a very interesting looking thing, I will say. Moving swiftly on to an aircraft that's been around for a few years and is bound to be around for another few years. It's the uh, F-16, and this comes to us from the, the uh, politico.com website. And at the Pentagon, push to send F-16s to Ukraine picks up steam. A contingent of military officials is quietly pushing the Pentagon to approve sending F-16 fighter jets to the Ukraine to help the country defend itself from Russian missile and drone attacks, according to three people with knowledge of the discussions. Ukraine has kept America-made F-16s on its weapons wish list since the Russian invasion last year, but Washington and Kiev have viewed artillery, armour and ground 
replaced air defence systems as more urgent needs as Ukraine seeks to protect civilian infrastructure and claw back ground occupied by Russian forces. As the Ukraine prepares to launch a new offensive to retake territory in the spring, the campaign inside the Defence Department for fighter jets is gaining momentum, according to the Department of Defence official and two other people involved in discussions. Those people, along with others interviewed for the story, asked not to be named in order to discuss internal matters. Spurred on in part by rapid approval of tanks and Patriot air defence systems, which not long ago were off-limits for export to Ukraine, there is renewed optimism that Kiev and the US jets could be lined up next. They said that you don't suppose a senior uh, Department of Defence official about the F-16 speaking on condition of anonymity, say that after a beer, to discuss a sensitive debate, the person stressed that there has been no final decision. However, the Ukraine has yet to declare that the fighter jets are its top priority. The official stress, noting that the Pentagon is focused on sending Kiev the capabilities it needs for the immediate fight. But fighter jets may be moving to the top spot soon, and Kiev has renewed its request for modern fighters in recent days, with a top advisor to the country's defence minister telling media outlets that the officials will push for jets from the US and European countries. Yeah, yeah and you and you saw this week that the the tank deal has finally gone through. Yeah, the, the um oh the what's the name of the tank? The, uh, it was German P. Panzers and Panzers, Abrams. Yeah. yeah, Panzers and Abrams, and the Abrams are on their way. So the next natural evolution of all of this, right? They've got they've received rockets, the multiple rocket launch system, and the the limitation. Because I've had a couple friends ask me why. Um, you know why hasn't this happened is the limitation training the f-16 has has been uh sold to partner nations for decades and decades and decades but you can't just take even a seasoned fighter pilot somebody coming from a mig-29 mig-21 something like that um it's still going to take them six months to get trained up yeah and who's going to train them yeah and that's the problem right like so where are they going to go are they going to go to poland um are they going to go to germany to get trained up then you know, going to maintain the, the aircraft exactly right and th- that's actually a problem with the tanks because i know here the the news cycle again goes so quick that people are saying wow why didn't we send these the, these american tanks earlier well they run on like jet engines you need jet fuel you need specialized training to run them you need spare parts that we may just not have, or they may just not have. Like the whole process just takes months and months of training and a logistical supply chain. It's not as easy as just send them over and, and you know, launch them into the skies and, and wish for the best type thing. Well, now, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that'll be hmm. said. If they get them, you know, it's a, a, pretty, a pretty significant, as we used to say, a force multiplier, because now you have F 16s going up against some old and new Russian aircraft. And it could turn out to be an a interesting air superiority fight. Yeah. Andy, you've got yes. the next one. I have, yes. Uh, <clears throat> following on the jolly theme, uh, one dead and one missing after fighter jet crashes in Greece. Uh, the body of the co-pilot of an F-4 Phantom fighter jet, I still can't believe they're flying, of the Hellenic Air Force that crashed on Monday morning in the Ionian Sea off of western Greece has been recovered. 
The pilot is still missing as a major search and rescue operation is currently underway to locate and rescue him. According to the preliminary reports, the crew of the F-4 Phantom Fighter Jet asked the control tower to use the automatic abandonment system. It is not clear whether it managed to evacuate. The details surrounding the crash remain unclear. The wreckage of the jet was found near the crash site in the Ionian Sea. The jet was performing a training flight and was flying in a pair. The official announcement of the General Air Staff is as follows. On Monday, January 30th, 2023, at 10.30am, a two-seater F-4 Phantom II aircraft of the 330th Squadron of the 117th Fighter Wing was performing a training flight, crashed in the sea area 25 nautical miles south of Andravidas Airport, which resulting in the uh, fatal wounding of the co-pilot, Lieutenant Marios Michael Torotsikas, 29 years old, and investigations continued for the Captain F. Stathanios. I'm sorry, mate, I can't yeah, say welcome. your surname. 31 years old. Uh, National Defence Minister Nikos Panigotopoulos. Have you done this on purpose today, Carlos? Giving me all of the, the terrible uh, uh, this names. Is, this is Armando, this is. Yeah, Carlos, come on. <clears throat> um, break, Carlos. I apologise to anybody of. Um, any Greek listeners out there, my terrible English. I'm from the north, I can't speak properly anyway. Uh, sorry, they announced a three-day period of mourning in the country's uh, armed forces on Monday. While the search for the captain continues, we express our sadness and grief at the loss of the court pilot after the fighter jet crash during a training uh, activity. Our thoughts are with the family of the flying officer to whom we express our sympathies and sincere condolences. Uh, so, yeah, it just carries on here that it was out on a train and flight and, sadly, something has gone wrong. The Phantom was in production from 1958 to 1981 with a total of 5,195 aircraft built, making it the most produced American supersonic military aircraft in history and cemented its position as an iconic combat aircraft of the Cold War. That's a very sad story that that's happened. Yeah, and that... I only put this in here because I don't. I, the only operators of the F four I think are Greece and Iran. I think, yeah, I think that that's it. Yeah, I think Turkey had some. South Korea had some. Are they flying too much? I don't. I don't know that they are. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. just. I'm just looking now. Uh, um, in limited service. Yeah. Uh, produced up until 1981, introduced into the service in 1961, first flew in 1958. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been around for a while. I I mean, nowadays, not that I'm Captain Nick there, but every time I see one of these flying, it's it's almost a, a treat, right? Where yeah. you see, it's like seeing a warbird flying. <laughs> There's a few airfields that are flying to that have them based there still and have the um, arrestor cables on the runway. Yeah. And when you see them take off at night, you can't see a lot except the lovely, just the fire from the tailpipe. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a great air. It's a beautiful airplane. It really is. Yeah. I just saw one on a stick down in uh, Lackland Air Force Base, and you just can't help but turn around it and admire how ugly it is. And the noise is phenomenal as well. Yeah. Ah oh, man, doing their part for the environment. That two mile trail of black <laughs> black smoke. That's the B but that's the B fifty twos, isn't it? Do you know what? Pay your seven thousand one hundred pound to take your pet. These are doing a lot more damage to the world. Fair point. Fair point. I'd rather fly a 
uh, F4 for an hour. And I'll pay the seven grand. It'll be cheaper. (laughs) Well, we got uh, one last military story. Uh, It's almost debatable if this is even a military story, but Carlos and I were actually talking about this. This has been all over the news here in the U.S. Apparently, there's a balloon. There's a Chinese surveillance balloon over the United States right now. Uh, The U.S. military, the U.S. Air Force, has scrambled two F-22 Raptors from Nellis Air Force Base in response to this incident. Um, A senior defense official said that the U.S. had considered shooting the balloon down over the state of Montana. Um, They did say afterwards that they just couldn't buy down the risk enough to feel comfortable to recommend and giving the order to shoot it down in the last couple days. Now, this balloon does remain over the U.S., so Although, it's, it, I thought the Chinese said it's not a it's not a balloon. It's um it's a what is it a civilian weather balloon oh. that's gone off course. Isn't that I, what you remember, said? I remember that <coughs> line. I have a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> <laughs> it was for it was a T-shirt to uh, to survive captivity. We were just a weather balloon. I don't know what you're talking about, sir. Um, that's so what they said about UFOs as well, wasn't it? It's was just a weather balloon. For the long, for decades, they said, "Oh, it's just weather balloons." And now, what? Two weeks ago on the show, we just talked about how the Department of Defense has opened up an official inquiry as to these unmanned, you know, unexplained phenomena. Anyway, Sorry, like, I digress. Yeah. Well, no, we digressed in a great direction because that's pretty much what it is. We, Carlos and I, were talking about this. This balloon. I know, I know Sturman's really interested in your views on this, Armando. Yeah, I, I mean. Kind of right again. I'm not in the military anymore, but the capability that the Chinese satellites have right now is so uh, immense. I'm not entirely sure what what it is that they would be trying to get from a sensor attached to a balloon with some solar panels. Uh, I think this is just a bit of a test to see. You know, Carlos, you were asking me about uh, air defense zones and. And shouldn't we have shot it down? I guarantee you this was tracked. Uh, I guarantee you that a balloon showing up over the U.S. from China didn't come as a surprise. <laughs> it would have taken days for it to get over here. It would have been tracked by something. Um, I think they're just making a conscious decision to say, we're not going to shoot it down because we don't want to hurt anybody on the ground. And what are they actually getting from it? is probably nothing because they, their satellites are way more capable than something strapped to a balloon like this. I don't know what this is all about, but I think it's just a... It's Surely a, they have satellites that are much more capable yeah, than... 100%. Some two-bit bit of equipment that they've attached to a balloon that they've let loose several days ago. It must have taken a while to blow around. Ah, uh, Amando. Yeah, we've actually managed to get a picture of that uh, of that Chinese uh, balloon. Here we go. Oh, I can't wait. I'll just uh, load that up. This Here is, we go. I feel like this is either legit or next week's caption. This. There we go. <laughs> oh, don't start me on these things. There we go. Yeah, these are like a real danger to aircraft. <laughs> to, to the world, <laughs> to the environment, yeah. to aircraft, to wildlife, to everything. Anybody watching this, don't send up lanterns. Thank you, thank you. No matter that what is my, holiday, that is my public service <laughs> announcement. <laughs> Pu- 
public service. Well, I don't know. It, unless you guys have any questions on this whole balloon thing, uh, it is all over the news here in the U.S. And I, yeah, I've got I've got loads. I want to know why it was allowed to come into the U.S. airspace because you guys watch everything down to ants, so you must have known it was there. Yeah, but you know, if you're going to shoot it down. It's a risk versus reward. So if you're going to shoot it down, now are you giving them a reason to say you just shot down one of our things as as an escalation thing? Or did we just surprise them by by going, eh, a whole lot of nothing. We're just going to let it fly over into Canada. It's it's a funny old one, isn't it? It's the cartoons, the uh, spy versus spy cartoons. Yeah. Oh, God. You're dating yourself there, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, despite this uh, young-looking face, I do. my All my pop references end at 1955. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's the end of the military, except for... Uh, hold on, it um, might, might have been this one, Armando. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no comment on that one. We're just going to move wrong. Move on. Def- definitely shoot that one down. <laughs> yeah, move along to the caption this. Uh, Carlos, I'm actually going to let you describe the photo. Why would you let me describe this photo? I'm the one who just picks them each week. I know. You were the one that found it. You describe the photo, and then we'll just jump right into it. Right, so the uh, photo for this week's caption this. Let me just... uh, Bring back my camera. Here we go. Uh, the caption of uh, this photo, which I posted on our Facebook page this week, uh, was uh, quite a good one I found this week. It's uh, involving a very well-known aircraft that uh, we had here. We we had here in the UK that was very good at its job, uh, which for some reason we gave, I think we gave all of ours to the Spanish, didn't we, um, Andy? I'm sure, pretty sure we gave all our uh, Harriers to the, uh, to the oh, Spanish. Oh, now you've said what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably. Well, we gave the designer away at the Americans as well, didn't we? Yeah, I know. But, uh, yeah, this particular picture is uh, involving a, a, a very small, um, what would you say, stream uh, here, whether that's what you call those in, in the US, Armando, I'm not sure. Uh, a stream? What do we call? A ditch. A ditch. A ditch. Uh, okay, a ditch. Yeah. Have you got the picture, Carlos? So I can and see I'll, uh, I'll just go, hold on, hold on, I'll just grab the picture. Hold on, hold, here we go. For the benefit of those of you watching in YouTube world, there we go. Oh, lovely. And it's uh, a Royal Navy Harrier, um, uh, possibly upset by uh, Jonathan Warner taking pictures of him a lot, and uh, he decided to go for a um, a drink instead. Uh, we've had some comments, haven't we? I'll, uh, I'll let you kick off with the first one uh, from Stephen Armando. All right, my friend Stephen Ivey says, one ditch only, please. <laughs> I think that's from Hunt for October, right? One ping only, Vasily. One ping only. <laughs> Good reference. <laughs> Classic film. John Luke, uh, or John says, uh, Royal Navy bog snorkeling team win the best fancy dress at this year's international bog snorkeling regatta held in Langrith, Wales. Uh, the next one's from Jake Castle. Uh, this is the instructor. Every landing you walk away from is a good landing. Any landing you can swim away from is... Well, student says, hang on, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> uh, uh, go on in, Dirk, with the next one, Armando. Yeah, Dirk says, the Royal Navy now following the U.S. Navy example of operating F-35s <laughs> <laughs> submarine mode. <laughs> I like that one. 
Uh, Mike is saying, when the sonar equipment fails, the fleet air arm takes a more direct approach to anti-submarine patrols. Ooh, I like it, I like it. <laughs> uh, Alan White says, I've heard of a sea harrier, but not a stream harrier. David says, Siri, I said I needed a drink, not land in the drink. <laughs> uh, Bob says, stealth sub fails. First test. <laughs> Uh, James Graves Brown says the new Royal Navy Flying Submarine Limited Edition, and we've got a couple. We've got a couple of these ones from the Instagram page, haven't we? From Instagram, three five five zero Rebel says Britain's new U-plane guaranteed to fly <laughs> under the radar. <laughs> now I'm going to give this one to Andy to do in his poshest <laughs> RAF voice. <laughs> From Nick. So this is from, uh, yeah, Nick. Now, look here, Private. Just because it says Royal Navy on the tail doesn't mean it will ruddy well float. <laughs> is that good enough? <laughs> Very good. Uh, only you could have done it that well. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, well, well, have, we, have we got any from the chat room? Let's have a oh, look in the sure. chat room. We've, all, we've always got uh, comments in the chat room. Uh, we've got, uh, let's see, Micah says, a Harrier Brooklands. Brook, because it's a brook. Lands oh. and get it. Uh, Sturman says, uh, extra quick water cooled engine. <laughs> um, let's see. Alex Robinson says, RAF Luton looks to replace the HMS Sinky. <laughs> uh, Richard Adams says, the Navy didn't quite get their pilot streaming process right. Uh, oh, Lee, Lee Davies says, where's Captain Sully when you need him? Although that airplane looked pretty intact. Mm. Um, let's see. Oh, Hobby Time says, the Royal Navy's top secret subnautical Harrier breaks cover. Uh, oh, this is a good one from James. Uh, he says, sink rate, sink rate too high. <laughs> uh, that might be a winner. Very good. <laughs> Anyways, there you go. Hey, babe. Say hello to everybody. Hey, babe. Hello, everybody. Hi, Megan. <laughs> hello. The boss is in. The boss is in the house. Yep, uh, let's see. Uh, give me one quick second here. Oh, well. There we go. Now she can hear you. Oh, there we go. Hi. I don't know, I don't know if she wants to hear us. No, the, the boss is there, keeping an eye on our Monday, you see. But thanks for everyone for uh, for your comments this week on the caption this. Uh, don't forget, next Wednesday, as long as I don't forget, there'll be another one posted on our Facebook page. And also, uh, we're going to start getting these on our Instagram page as well uh, more often, so you can comment on there if you follow us. If, you, if you're not a Facebook person, which I know a lot of people are binning off the Facebook and sticking to other forms of social media, we'll pop that on Instagram as well for you to comment on next wednesday so keep your eyes on our social medias uh, to see when the or what the next picture will be i think perhaps next week we should get uh, armando to choose a uh, to choose a picture to go on there what do you reckon deal yeah we'll do that Shoot, i think i think i probably got some pictures in our in our own family flying adventures that would qualify for a caption this uh -oh. <laughs> oh blimey family friendly i hope always of course, always, always. <laughs> <laughs> you both said that in unison, then. That was really oh, good. When it comes lovely. to airplanes, it's all family friendly. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were going to say when it comes to airplanes, we're totally in line. We're oh. always in unison. 
Right. So while you're there, Megan, special job for you. Can you, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, in case they don't know where to find us on social media, can you let our listeners know where we are on social media? I can. You can find Plain Talking UK on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for Plain Talking UK. Oh, and WhatsApp. We have a WhatsApp number. Plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Email. We have podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and the website www.plaintalkinguk.com. I feel like we're taking it back in time. So if you want to send us a letter or a telegram, <laughs> you can just send it to, to Bungie ten ninety four. And uh, don't forget, and the next bit as well, don't forget, Megan, the, subs- the YouTube oh, channel. Oh, bit. I've got this. No, yep. no. <laughs> Why not subscribe to our YouTube channel? <laughs> uh, you'll get notifications when we go live. And you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room like all of the lovely folks have here today. Um, there's a few that I am very excited to see because they're excited to see me too. Uh, go to YouTube.com and search for Plain Talking UK. And uh, why not, while you're there, become a Patreon member? Yeah, which we talked about. And too. donate. Oh, you smash have? that bell icon. Smash that bell. <laughs> and I'm a Patreon member, despite the fact that uh, Armando's here doing the podcast. I also support it financially. So well, you, you do, you do. Very kind I as do. well. And, and what about if you're going to do your shopping? Where where should people go if they're doing their shopping on a, a Amazon? Of course, there is a an Amazon link. I don't know what that is, but there is one. It's on the web from the web page. Gotcha. And we always promise we can't see wink wink what you buy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, don't forget as well. What have we got on our website shop for site to sell or to sell for sale for our listeners, uh, Megan? What have we got on there? The, these. Uh, oh well, I think we have only, some of these, right? The only yes. thing that matters. Okay, we've got a few different versions of these. Yeah. Yeah, we have. We have. Is there, uh, there's a non. Is there a non-grey one? There is a non-grey one, yes. Oh, there a, good. There is good. a PTUK non-grey one. And also, yeah, but nobody buys them. Everybody just buys the military ones. And there's also <laughs> T-shirts as well, which I think, Meg, I think, Megan, you've got, you've got your own T-shirt. I do well, have a you? T-shirt, yes, yeah. I do. I, I mean, it's in the wash I'm now because it's my tonight. everyday wear. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly where mine is as well, yes. I've been wearing it all today. Yeah. Oh, all right, Andy. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's also great as a as a nightgown. It's great to wear to the gym, painting. Yep, <gasps> <gasps> clean on the car. Oh dear! I'm kidding. Mine is perfectly intact. No paint on it. Good. That's what I like to hear. Because <laughs> a certain someone that we shan't mention their name done done their tiling in their one. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. T- honestly, ruined it. <laughs> Pip. Anyway, we'll just have to get another. He will. Yes, very true. <laughs> uh, so that is about all we've got time for on this week's show, episode four four three of the show. Big thanks to Andy for joining us on the show this week. Thanks, Andy. It's been lovely to have you on, as always. Oh, pleasure as always. Great, and well, hopefully, Andy. I think um, we're going to steal you again in a few weeks' time, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've given up trying to claim my fee from you these days, so yeah, you can have us whenever now. Oh, blimey. So, and you'll be back in a few weeks' time with us, um, because <laughs> we've, we're, we're nevless for a couple of weeks, so uh, Andy's very kindly going to step in uh, um, the week after next and join us for the show, so thanks for that, Andy. But no, it's been great to have Bye. you on, as always, and a, a foot of knowledge of everything Airbus, so thank you, Andy. Oh, 
Apparently so, yes. No, no, it's great fun, as always. Nice to see you all. Nice to see everybody in the chat room as well. I'll be yes. back in a few weeks. And uh, a big thanks as well to Megan for joining us for the last part of the show and doing our social media links. Thanks, Megan. You, you've done it very well. No problem. We should it's pre-record like you doing that. Do it or anything. We, what we <laughs> need to do, we need to pre-record you saying all those links, and we can just drop that in at the end of the show, and it'll... Let's do it. Yeah. I'm in. This might this make this happen. This make yeah, this happen. Yeah. Okay. And thanks to Armando as well for uh, joining me tonight. Thanks for Armando for joining me and uh, giving us the military news this week. I know Sturman enjoyed that, and obviously Mr. Warner enjoyed that as well, as all the listeners. And uh, don't forget, those grey mugs are available on the store. If you've not got yourself one yet, those military grey mugs are available on our website, along with our normal PTUK mugs as well, uh, which you can purchase on there, along with T-shirts as well, which we still have got. Uh, t-shirts as well if you want one of those as well we can ship those out to you uh, although at the minute we are having issues here in the uk with sending stuff to the states our very lovely royal mail are um, having some kind of dif- difficulty of sending anything bigger than an a4 piece of paper to the us so once that gets sorted out uh, we'll be sending stuff out to you guys over in the us uh, but that's it for episode 443 of the show i'm going to hand things over to armando to close the show because I need to press buttons and do things that Matt would normally do when he's here. But uh, I'll be back next week, and hopefully Armando will be back next week as well, and uh, we'll try and grab a guest for next week. So, Armando, over to you to close the show. Well, most importantly, like a fine chimichurri or a bechamel sauce, Andy always elevates the show. He's the only reason I listen. Thank you, Andy, for being here. Um, Thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you to everyone that supports the show. All the listeners... Have a great week. Stay safe. If, you, if you're going flying, send us some pictures. We'll throw it up there next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.